0: These aspects of civil society, I think, are the most important aspects of American attraction or soft power.
1: Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg. I am a veteran international affairs journalist and the editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture each month dr gary lanyan from the world health organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health award-winning journalists and authors and frontline public health workers join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting season four launching in june global health matters is available on apple podcasts spotify and youtube I'm at the Aspen Security Forum this week, deep in the Rocky Mountains. You may be able to tell by some of the ambient background noise. The Aspen Security Forum is one of the higher-profile foreign policy and international security conferences. It tends to attract big players. Linda Thomas-Greenfield, Antony Blinken, CIA Director William Burns, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan... The U.K. Foreign Secretary James Cleverly, China's new U.S. Ambassador Zhi Feng, and many, many more are all in attendance. For such a high-profile gathering, it's a rather intimate affair, a deliberate consequence of the pristine mountain setting, I'd say. As I record this, the conference is just wrapping up. These conferences tend to be target-rich environments for snagging great guests for the podcast, and I have some excellent episodes coming up for you, including a conversation with the most recent Nobel Peace Prize laureate, the Ukrainian human rights lawyer, Alexandra Matvichuk, and I also spoke with Kenya's National Security Advisor, Monica Juma. Today, I bring you my conversation with one of the conveners of the conference, Joseph Nye. He is, of course, a legendary international affairs scholar, most famous for coming up with the concept of soft power, and much of our conversation focuses on soft power competition between China and the United States. So here is my conversation with Joseph Nye, recorded live at the Aspen Security Forum. perhaps situate this year's Aspen security conference in terms of broader trends, broader events in international relations and foreign policy and articulate thus far halfway through what you see as some of the key outcomes or takeaways of this year's conference.
0: The major strategic concerns have been great power competition with Russia and China and with Russia, there's obviously a lot of concern about the war in Ukraine. And the relationship of Ukraine to NATO. With China, there's been a great deal of concern about Taiwan, about the military relationship, but also the economic relationship. So those two themes, great power competition, are not new, but they clearly still dominate the concerns. But the other theme that's run through this has been the emerging role of technology. Several sessions have been held on technology and space, about innovation and new technologies. And then there's a lot of concern about artificial intelligence. So I would say that great power competition and technological change would summarize what's obviously a much larger, more complex conference.
1: So in the context of great power competition, I wanted to have a bit of a conversation with you about U.S.-China soft power competition. But to get there, I'm going to ask you a question that I presume is the most asked question of you, which is to offer the audience a brief definition of soft power.
0: Well, power is the ability to affect others to get what you want. We all use it every day. We often think of power as coercion or payment to get others to do what you want. That's what I call hard power. Sometimes, though, we're able to persuade others to get them to do what we want by attraction rather than coercion and payment. That's what I call soft power.
1: And I have to assume that most of the people listening now have read your book. <laughs> well, I
0: don't know. That's cruel, unusual, <laughs> this, funny, this, but... <laughs> this, this,
1: this is your target audience. So using that definition of soft power and your study of soft power, what do you perceive to be the key sources of Chinese soft power today?
0: Well, China is attractive to others because of its economic performance. I mean, it is as the frequent phrase goes, raised hundreds of millions of people out of poverty. That attracts others to China. China is also attractive because of its traditional culture. It is an ancient culture with many interesting and attractive features. And so this is what you get when you have Confucius Institutes that are established by Beijing and various universities around the world. Those are probably its two strong sources of soft power. But on the other hand, it's got some weaknesses, and the weaknesses are the two big weaknesses. One is it has a lot of territorial conflicts with its neighbors. It's very hard to attract, let's say, Indians with a Confucius Institute in New Delhi if at the same time you're killing Indian soldiers on the Himalayan border. And China has probably a half a dozen neighbors with whom it has territorial disputes. So that limits China's soft power. The other thing that limits China's soft power is the tight insistence on detailed party control. The fact that that limits freedom of speech, limits civil society. You get things like a great Chinese artist Ai Weiwei, who is essentially thrown out or locked up. And that affects not just China's neighbors, but affects people in Europe, Japan, Australia and the US. So those are the two limits on Chinese soft power, which I think more than balance the two assets.
1: So interestingly, when you discuss China's neighbors and the territorial disputes it has with many of them, some of these countries, at least, are countries with large Chinese ethnic diaspora populations. How does that impact soft power dynamics?
0: The Chinese diasporas in Southeast Asia... It's a double-edged sword. I mean, there's some who then regard China as the mother civilization are attracted to it, but the Chinese diasporas are minorities which are often economically privileged and sometimes run into local resentments, ethnic resentments. And so the extent to which they are seen visibly to be promoting Chinese interests, they may undercut their own positions at home. So it's a double-edged sword. Beyond like the Southeast Asian
1: region, you, know, you mentioned earlier that one of the key sources of Chinese soft power is the economic miracle, the undeniable economic miracle. How do you see the elements of that soft power manifesting itself in, say, Africa or perhaps even in Europe, although I think Chinese diplomacy has hit some few hiccups in in in, in recent years? But Are there like anecdotes or evidence you could cite to suggest to you the impact of this soft power?
0: Well, China has tried to project this soft power through its Belt and Road Initiative and has used that as a way to support infrastructure and economic relations with a wide range of countries, hoping that it makes it more attractive. It's not getting a very good return on its investment, if you look at the polls that are done by the Pew Charitable Trust, which is a very reputable polling organization, it finds that in almost all continents except Africa, the U.S. is much more attractive than China. The African case is the exception in the sense that the U.S. and China are virtually tied for attractiveness. So even though China is trying with its BRI to make itself more attractive and increase its soft power. It hasn't worked in most of the world.
1: How would you assess the state of American soft power today?
0: Well, American soft power goes up and down. I mean, if you look back in the 50s, it was relatively high. In the 60s, it goes down because of Vietnam War. In the 70s and 80s, it recovers. And it goes down in the early part of the 21st century because of the Iraq War. Then it goes back up again with the election of Obama, goes down again with the election of Trump. Right now, I'd say on this cyclical pattern that it's on the upswing with the Biden administration, but more important than these fluctuations is that a lot of American soft power comes not from government, but from our civil society, everything from our universities to Hollywood to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and so forth. Indeed, sometimes those aspects of our civil society can be attracting others at the same time that our government policies are alienating others. So today, in the year 2023, what would you say are the dominant sources of American soft power? You start with American culture. I mean, if you look at popular culture and Hollywood, that's still a very important source of soft power. But I would also add to that our educational system, higher education, where even by Chinese measures of the top 20 universities in the world, 15 of the 20 are in the United States, none in China. If you look at the the diasporas in which different countries have their emigres in the United States doing well, and that in turn creates a linkage back home, which tends to be attractive These aspects of civil society, I think, are the most important aspects of American attraction or soft power. In addition, I think, in the government policy, the fact that the Biden administration has moved away from Trump's America first enhances soft power somewhat. If you take a slogan like American first, that means everybody else is second, and if you're second or more you're not exactly attractive to the people who say you're second class.
1: In the context of great power competition between the United States and China, what are the frontiers of the soft power competition? Where are you seeing competition or are you seeing competition in like the soft power theater of the great power competition?
0: You see it, it very often in Southeast Asia, but also in Pacific islands. Many of the Pacific Islands are quite small, and a small amount of aid can have a powerful impact on policy. And China has often been using its aid programs there to increase its soft power. Recently, the Americans, as well as the Australians and New Zealanders, have been increasingly aware of this and making, if you want, counter efforts to be present in the Pacific Islands. So that's an area where you can see the contention. It's also true in parts of Africa in terms of Chinese support for infrastructure or aid programs often makes them popular. American aid programs are somewhat more limited. We have a Foreign Corrupt Practices Act and a public scrutiny, which makes it more difficult to carry out some of the programs that China's been able to. But those would be the two areas I think you see the greatest competition.
1: And, and do you see soft power competition as a zero-sum game?
0: Not necessarily. If, For example, if it's in our interest to avoid conflict with China, and it's in China's interest to avoid conflict with the U.S., then the extent to which China becomes more attractive in American eyes and America becomes more attractive in Chinese eyes you somewhat reduce that prospect of conflict. That's positive, son.
1: So yesterday, your answer reminds me of the kind of tone that the Chinese ambassador to the United States struck. Rather conciliatory, I thought, at least compared to his predecessor last year, who struck, I think, a far more adversarial tone. That may be a different in personality. It may be a different in direction from Beijing. It's hard to tell. Do you see an opportunity for say, the United States government officials to build upon that conciliatory tone to sort of get off the trajectory we're on today, which seems to lead inexorably towards this kind of new Cold War. A
0: Chinese ambassador, whether it's last year Xi Gong or this year Xi Feng, they're representing Beijing. No, there's just not the personality difference there. If the policy in Beijing has switched toward isolating the Americans or confronting the Americans to doing a certain amount of cooperation with the Americans. The ambassador is simply reflecting that. And Chinese policy has changed somewhat. As their economic problems get worse, they've realized that being at cross-purposes with the United States is too costly and they want to relieve that somewhat. So I think that's the, the source of the change in tone which you heard.
1: So lastly, we're cooking in the Colorado sun here, so I'll I'll wrap it up. But going forward in the coming weeks or years or or months, are there indicators that you'll be looking towards that will suggest to you the trajectory of U.S.-Chinese competition, whether or not we'll be locked into a Cold War or whether or not, on the other hand,
0: we can escape that trap? One thing that will be important is to see whether this proposed meeting between President Xi and President Biden, San Francisco comes off this fall. This will be their first meeting since Bali last fall. And we'll look for more type exchanges like we saw with Secretary of Treasury Janet Yellen, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, and so forth. But in addition to that, I think we want to keep an eye on Taiwan. And when the Americans' official position is. One China, when the Americans seem to be eroding the One China policy by certain visits at a high level and so forth, the Chinese respond by cutting back on ties with U.S. And we'll have to see whether both sides manage that well or whether it gets out of hand.
1: Professor Nye, thank you so much for your time. I know you're in very high demand well, well, uh,
0: this week, so I do appreciate you taking some time to speak with my me. My pleasure.
1: Thank you for listening to Global Dispatches. Our show is produced by me, Mark Leon Goldberg, and edited and mixed by Levi Sharp. If you have questions or comments, please email us using the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com. Before you go, do take a moment to show your support for the show by becoming a premium subscriber. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can do so with a couple taps of your thumb, if you're listening elsewhere, you can go to patreon.com globaldispatches global dispatches. We rely on support from listeners to continue to do what we do far into the future. And by becoming a premium subscriber, you will unlock access to our entire archive of hundreds and hundreds of episodes. Please rate or review the show on Apple Podcasts.